Hello, and welcome to Getting It Done, a podcast about music, education, and life lessons. I'm your host, Tim Rausenberger, and today is Sunday, February 18th, 2018. This is episode 242, Field Trip Preparation. Today's episode is not hard to figure out. It's all about school field trips. Everything you've ever wanted to know, everything you've wanted to learn, and hopefully ways that you can improve your overall experience. One thing I want to caution everyone about before you we get into the entire episode is the fact that a lot of school districts have very strict policies in place regarding field trips. Now, this is not to say that some of the things I'm going to mention shouldn't be used. However, what I would say is you can use some of these items to supplement the policies that are already in place, but some of the things I'm going to mention you may not be able to do because your school, your administration, board of education has already established how things need to be done. See, years ago, the policies and honestly, just all of the regulations for different types of things in the schools were just not nearly as strict as they are now. And it really comes down to accountability, more specifically, things in writing. Back in my early years, I could do field trips in which we literally would get onto a bus, we would go somewhere in the community, there was no no, uh, field trip permission slip necessary, we just did it. And in some cases, the parents didn't even know about it, and the reason why was because we were right in town. Those days are way in the past. And unless you're in a community, there are very, very few where they are actually that lax about student accountability. I can promise you, you're probably going to have to submit a field trip request for almost anything in which students are going to be departing the school. And the main reason for this, sadly and unfortunately, comes down to school security and safety. So, if you're going to go to another school, which is right next to your school, literally footsteps away, in districts where I have taught recently, you would have to submit a field trip request. If you're taking a bus to another school within your district, same situation. Granted, it's not going to be nearly as involved as the type of field trip information I'm going to get into today, but it's still paperwork. 
What I'd like to cover today is a type of field trip where every conceivable parameter is in play. So we're going to talk through a field trip to the zoo. Let's say you have a zoo. If I were to take my students on a trip in my area, we are a zoo that might be a, a, a place that would be great to go to would be the Bronx Zoo. And we're going to assume that the time we're going to physically be at the zoo is going to be from, oh, let's just say 9.30 to 1.30. The questions you now need to ask yourself, how far in advance do I need the buses to arrive? How far in advance do the students and potential chaperones need to arrive to a specific destination before boarding the buses? How much time do I need to allow to safely get back to the school district to ensure that students are not late for dismissal? Because I'm going to tell you any of those things that I just named, just those alone, if your guesstimates are off, you can really irk a lot of people. You don't want to irk your administrators and you don't want to irk the parents. Certainly upsetting staff members is not ideal either, but you really don't want to upset the first two groups that I talked about because if a parent has to come to the school to pick up their child because you didn't plan sufficiently for the chance that there's going to be some type of traffic barring some awful accident where a road is closed and it was the only way to get home, you're going to irritate a lot of people in the community if they have to drive to the school to pick up, pick up their child when the child was supposed to take the bus home or some other form of transportation. On the other hand, you don't want a situation where the students are arriving at a time where it's either, believe it or not, too early or it's something that's going to mess up the first part of the school day. So you need to consider a lot of different things. We're going to take a school, for instance, that starts the school day at 8 o'clock and ends at 3 o'clock. So we're going to assume that 8 o'clock is the time that attendance is taken during homeroom, and we'll call homeroom just for argument's sake, five minutes. If your trip is going to be from 9.30 to 1.30, that is the time you're physically at the zoo. And it typically takes, by car, a half hour to get there. With a bus, immediately take the amount of time that, uh, if it was a reasonable amount of time, without any major amounts of traffic, it was if, a, if it's a half hour by car, you have to factor in a minimum 15 minutes more for the bus. 
because it's a bus. The bus is not going to go into the left lane and be passing people at 80 miles an hour. It's just not going to happen. The bus might have specific turns that it has to make, which are easily negotiable with a car and not so much with a large yellow vehicle. So with all of this said, I would say that your report time of 8 o'clock for the homeroom is completely fine. But if you think that for whatever reason it's going to take longer, you might need to do your attendance before the start of homeroom. Now that could rock the apple cart a little bit because it could certainly uh, upset administration. It could bother people in the main office and perhaps you've worked really, really hard with the relationships that you've developed with those people and you don't want to mess up their entire flow. Or you might be in a situation where they're completely and totally understandable that this is a one-day thing and because you've planned everything so well, they're willing to do it for a day and it's not an issue at all. You have to be the judge of the people you work with. You need to also factor in situations that might be beyond your control, like children who consistently arrive late to school for reasons that may not be their own. Sure, it's easy to say, well, if you're not here by specific X time, then you can't go on the trip. Well, sure, you can absolutely say that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? If that child misses the trip, they're going to probably be pretty devastated. And I certainly would not want to have a conversation with an administrator or a parent over a child who's been waiting probably for the entire school year for that particular trip and has maybe never been to a zoo before and may never have the opportunity ever again. Yes, I've worked in districts where that has been the case. So with that all said, we need to find a time that's going to make sense. So let's say 8 o'clock for all the students to report to homeroom. And then let's perhaps say that it's just going to be only your homeroom. So it's a maybe a fourth grade homeroom that is going on the trip. So everybody can obviously stay in your room. You're going to need chaperones with you. You obviously would not be going alone. Now the rule in most places where I've worked has been for high school students and I believe middle school students, you typically need one chaperone per 10 excuse me, one chaperone, excuse me, one chaperone per 20 students. And in the case of elementary students, you need one chaperone per 10 students. Now, every school is a little different with their policy, but most of them have a ratio that is set in place. You want to have more chaperones than you need, but you don't want to get completely out of control. And the reason you don't want to do that is because you don't want a situation in which you have, for lack of a better word, too many people in charge. 
there's one person that's in charge, and that is you. Which means now, my recommendation would be for your chaperones to arrive early. So you can lay down the ground rules. There are so many teachers who could make the field trip experience better if they would just speak to the parents in advance. You need to be clear cut with your instructions. Without coming off as being a jerk, you need to establish that you are the leader here. They are not the leaders. They are people who are adults. That is, again, if you're bringing in parents. But they are the adults. And they are the ones who are following what you have asked them to do. Believe me, in almost every situation, you won't have a problem with this because you will have selected people you know, you hopefully know in advance. You've spoken to them to make sure that it's not going to be someone who's going to be difficult to deal with the entire day, someone who's going to be clearly breaking the rules. And what I mean by that, just to give you an example, would be saying something like, while we're in the park, they can get food, but they cannot purchase sweets for any reason. There are plenty of school districts out there that have strict policies against sugar. And you can say something like that. And it's that parent that says, okay, well, you know what? This is your fun day. So we're going to get ice cream. See, this is the, the situation you don't want. This is the situation you don't want where uh, they're being rebels and they're doing things they're not supposed to be doing. So you have to be selective with your parents uh, that you're going to be uh, choosing as as chaperones. And you also, it would be a good idea to speak to other teachers, administration, to the main office to find out about the parents you're potentially planning on selecting. You might find some, shall we say, skeletons in the closet that you did not know about with a particular parent and they may advise you to go with someone else. Okay, so we're gonna have our chaperones arrive early. If it's an eight o'clock homeroom, there's no way those chaperones are arriving any later than 7.45. You might want to say 7.40. I don't think before 7.30 is necessary. I think that's obnoxious. But I think 7.45, unless you have some type of morning responsibility, then it may have to be 7.30. And you might want to make a nice gesture, maybe get them coffee or donuts or whatever. Uh, that's just a nice thing to do and just a token of your appreciation. Uh, again, they're going to be, in most cases, thrilled that they can be part of this experience. They're able to go. They can see their child in action. You might get that cool mom, that cool dad that everybody loves. And that's everyone's mom or dad that the kids can hang out with. And it can be a great overall experience. Uh, what are you going to be saying to the chaperones? Again, you're going to be lay, laying down the ground rules. And the big thing that you want to do in this day and age, something that I learned uh Honestly, only within the past few years, I didn't do it for the longest time. You need to have the cell phone numbers of every single chaperone. Uh, what I will do is usually have them all written down 
and I may quickly run to the copy machine and just copy all the numbers, unless it's only you only have two or three people with you. But if you have a lot of chaperones on a trip, just write down all the numbers of everyone, so then everyone's got everyone's number. Heaven forbid anything happens, catastrophic, where the groups break up and one person can't get a hold of another. Uh, it's really, really important. Uh, you're going to want to establish uh, your rules in terms of uh, where the students can go and the fact that the adults need to be with them at all times, uh, particularly things where it comes to uh, into play like a restroom. Uh, I have to be honest with you. I don't even feel comfortable if I'm going to a place like a zoo, a public area like that. And I am obviously a male chaperone and I have females in my group. <clears throat> I actually try to have a female chaperone that's going to be nearby or someone I can speak to about going into that public restroom uh, to accompany the child because that's just the type of society, unfortunately, that we live in. That's where we're at right now. Uh, for that reason, you're going to need to have a mix of chaperones. You can't go on a trip with all chaperones of the same gender, uh, primarily for bathroom purposes. But it's just in in case you're dealing with whatever grade it is, if it's a personal issue where a female feels more comfortable speaking to a female chaperone, I think you can get you get get the idea. So you need to consider that as well. Uh, and obviously that can be very challenging with daytime trips because, and I'm not being sexist in the least, but more often than not, a lot of the districts where I've worked, when I ask for chaperones, usually a lot of females will offer to go on the trip not as many males. And I will usually just verbalize to the students and say, we are looking for dads or uncles or grandfathers or someone, uh, uh, adults that are male to go on this trip because we can't have all females. And, I, uh, and I'll just say that to the students. Okay, so we we and we haven't even gone we haven't gone anywhere yet. We haven't even talked about permission slips. You can see how involved all of this is. This is all part of my thought process. I have already called these chaperones in advance. So then I can just make that connection in advance and make sure that the chaperone's going to be there the entire day. I've had situations where chaperones say, well, uh, oh, uh, no, I'm not going on the bus. I'm going to drive in this car because I get car sick. Well, I, I hate to be that way, but you're not of any use to us because I need you to be on the bus in case someone on the bus gets sick or something, uh, again, happens. You want people to be together. Now, you may have a situation in which a uh, student does not feel comfortable going onto the bus. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but in this day and age, the only way that child's going to be able to go on the trip, the parent has to drive them. And you're going to have to get permission from the administrator, uh, permission from administration to do that. 
uh, I would not just make that decision on your own and make sure that it's okay. Uh, they may understand I've had students before who get sick on buses and they have motion sickness and they need to be in a car, but that car needs to be driven by their family member. You do not want any adult, does not matter if it's a close friend. No, absolutely not. That needs to be, in 2018, it needs to be someone who is related to the child. That's where the line has to be drawn. The same thing has to do with early departures from trips, which that's also been an issue over the years. And I'm not going to get into that, that too much, but you want to do everything you can with your field trips to try to rule out and make it so clear about your instructions for the trip. I think that so many people don't do this. I think that people are not clear with their directions. And when you're not clear with the instructions and you're starting to give directions as the trip is going, that's, that's not effective. It needs to be all done in advance. You need to think everything through in advance. Everything you're going to say to the kids, everything you're going to say to the, the parents who are not going on the trip, as well as chaperones on the trip. Okay, so the paperwork itself. Let's talk about the permission slip. So the permission slip, first off, creating a permission slip, if you've never done this before for a field trip, can be very daunting. And if you don't have a template, I find that a lot of the field trip uh, templates that schools will provide, uh, it's kind of half-half. Sometimes they're really excellent and sometimes they're abysmal. I have generally used my own permission slips over the years and the schools have been fine with them. They're extremely thorough. Uh, the permission slip will provide an, uh, a, an itinerary with lots of estimated times, but it's pretty clear about the entire trip as to what the children are going to be doing throughout the day, the times they need to report, uh, if they're going to be purchasing food wherever they're going or going to perhaps a, uh, a, a place that sells souvenirs. You need to suggest a specific amount of money that the child should be bringing, but therein lies another issue. You're dealing with nine and 10 year olds who can very easily lose money. So you may want to put something in. They can bring money at, at, with the, at their own discretion. You do not want a situation in which you are holding money for students because it's not even so much worrying about losing the money and keeping track. It's not so much that issue. The bigger issue, what it really comes down to is it's, a, it's annoying. <laughs> it's very annoying to have to be holding that for the children. So I would say that's something that you want to say to the kids. Listen, if you want to bring money with you, that's great. Or if they're going to be bringing money again for their, uh, for their food, they're going to need to make sure they have it in a secure place and on their person. <clears throat> Sometimes the chaperones are willing to do it. I know 
me personally, that's not something that I enjoy doing at all. You may be in a situation where you require the students to bring a bag lunch with them. Now you have to check with somewhere like a zoo to find out if, if that's allowed. There are going to be some places that allow it. Some people, some places don't. Some places may allow you to do it providing that you're not obviously taking it into the park, but then you're dealing with potentially eating on the bus or a place outside the park. You need to take all that stuff into consideration. The bus, in lot, most situations, they don't want anybody eating anything on the bus for these types of trips. And the last thing you want is to be destroying a school bus and really irritating people in your district because a, a bus comes back being a complete pigsty. So we don't want that situation. So in your field trip uh, permission slip, you want to include all the details. Don't be vague. Don't just keep it so open that parents have no idea where their children are going. How about this? Children don't even know what they're doing. That's ridiculous. And I've had it happen so many times where I ask kids, okay, where are you going on this trip? And they'll tell me, okay, what are you going to be doing? We don't know. Well, how could you not know? How could you have no idea? You're going on the trip and yeah, the part of them is they're just happy to get out of school. Well, that's all well and good, but come on. The reality is that they should have some information. They should not be all surprises. And the parents want that, that information. And quite honestly, your administration is probably going to want to know what you're going to be doing there. What's the purpose of the trip? In a lot of cases nowadays, there needs to be a really specific purpose for the trip. And it might be something relating to your curricula. And that's a biggie. Being able to defend the reason you're going on the trip. Because... There are places that might be uh, maybe a place where you could go and play arcade games the entire day. Good luck trying to come up with the educational purposes of that, that trip. I have known of teachers who recently went on those trips and I still have no idea how they got them approved. Because the, uh, where I w was working at the time, <laughs> they had to list a reason for the trip and the the trip was to a, a, a I don't want to say the name of the arcade but it's a very popular chain of arcade uh, establishments in the uh, New York City metropolitan area at any rate uh, you get you get the gist the field trip information forms need to be submitted and returned uh, way before the trip. A lot of times those forms need to be back a minimum of a week before the trip. But if you are dealing with anything that involves payments, <clears throat> uh, I would probably go more for at, at least two weeks before the trip. At least. When it comes to payments, this is where things can get very tricky. You have to document, 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 and document. If a person has paid for the trip by check, I would, as long as it's okay with your administration, they may even tell you to do it, I 
have more often than not made copies of all of those checks and you don't keep the copies of the checks. You turn in the copies of the checks along with the checks and you give everything to whoever that person is is going to be collecting all that information. They may tell you not to do that. That's fine if they tell you not to. I would feel more comfortable in doing it and saying that you did it to cover yourself. And then if they paid by cash, well, that's obviously going to take care of itself. The money might need to be turned in in a specific time frame and it may need to be turned in the second it's received. School districts are cutting down on the let's hold the permission slip and payment thing for a month in the envelope premise. They're trying to cut down on that. Why? Because it's really annoying if you have written a check and you turn it in, you were one of the first people to turn it in and it's five, six weeks later and the check was never cashed. That's annoying. It's very, very irritating for parents, but more importantly, the school district wants to make sure that that check clears. And obviously if it's cash, it's cash, but it's specifically for the checks. So that information is going to need to be turned in well in advance. You might be in a situation where you need checks to be cut. You need to make a check request. I have gone on trips before where we actually have gone to restaurants after uh, after the experience, wherever it is that we're going. But there were restaurants where they the restaurant uh, set up a situation where we just gave the restaurant a check when we arrived and the students were able to eat and got specific meals. And that was fantastic because you were able to build in that cost with the money up front and now kids don't have to bring any money with them. At the Bronx Zoo, you're probably not going to get that lucky. Last time I checked, I don't think they do some type of advanced food voucher type of thing. I don't think that's going to quite work there. But... In other situations, you may need some type of of check that you need to bring with you. You may have a check that you need to mail. Uh, Perhaps there is some type of cost involving the tickets that you need to mail in advance. It may need to be you. It may need to be the school. That's another question that you need to ask. You need to find that out in advance. The permission slips themselves when you receive the permission slips, make copies of all of them. As a matter of fact, I would probably make and make sure you have at least three copies of the permission slips. One set of copies you need for you. That needs to be on your person because one of the things on those permission slips needs to be information relating to health. You need to have emergency contact numbers on that permission slip because been doing this for a long time and yes it's happened where i've had a, a kid that some type of medical episode happens and you want to make sure that you can contact the parents so you ask what you put on the, the slip is don't just ask for cell phone numbers you ask for emergency number 
on the day of the trip or emergency numbers with names. And the parent will put down the appropriate information for you. Don't worry about how much room that you've left or put, not putting enough lines. Parents will make do. They'll, if they want 17 phone numbers to be on there with names of their, their third cousins, they will do it to make sure that their child has the information available in case they're unable to communicate with you. And you don't want to be relying on especially younger children with trying to remember phone numbers. Sometimes they don't even know their own numbers if they do happen to have a phone of their own. So one set of those permission slips is going to be with you at all times. Uh, you don't need to be making copies of the permission slips for the other chaperones. I don't think that's necessary unless a chaperone is a teacher. Uh, that information is not really shouldn't be shared with chaperones uh, that are parents. But with another staff member, eh, I don't think there's any harm, I guess, if you want to give it to uh, another staff member. Uh, again, if you're going from just one school to another school, that's really probably not as critical as an all-day type trip. But again, that's going to be at the discretion of your school district. One set of the permission slips usually goes to the main office and or uh, administration or like a district office. So you'll need to check. I can guarantee you, you're going to need to make permission uh, copies of those permission slips. You do not want one set. You also don't want to have a permission slip that's lost. Again, another way to irritate a parent, they have to fill out the form twice and you certainly don't want to lose the payments. Okay. So the permission slips, I think I've covered everything. I'm trying to think back here with the permission slips. Uh, certainly with the permission slips, you are going to want one part of the slip for the parents to keep and one part of the slip that you are going to be holding on to. Now, some people will say to, them, to me, by the way, hey, Tim, why don't we just use Google Docs? or something, some type of way online. If your district has approved something like that, go for it. Uh, that still hasn't happened to date for me. And here we are in 2018, we are using paper. And the main reason is that parent signature. That parent signature is everything on the form. And make sure to check your forms and be sure that the signature is on there. Because you don't want that situation where you have an unsigned form and with your luck, it'll be that particular child where something goes awry. Okay, in terms of transportation, every district is completely different than this. I've been in situations where the district provides the transportation at no cost. When does that happen? Usually for things that are in district. When it's something that's out of district, rare. Very, very rare. If you're going to be taking a trip all day to the Bronx Zoo, usually the district's going to be charging you. And I can tell you right now, it's not cheap. I know the last going rate on the last field trip that I did where I left school grounds, I believe the fee per hour per bus was 60 dollars. Think about that. It's really crazy. 
It just is. But even if it's a district bus, they will charge that money because the problem is that once you are occupying a bus, even if it's owned by the district, that's one less bus that the district has available for it to use to transport students and others throughout the course of the day. And they may have to outsource. They may have to get another company. In your district, your district may not have any buses at all. You may share with another, a neighboring district, or you may use some type of bus service that has some type of agreement with your school. Who are the people that, uh, excuse me, (laughs) worded badly, uh, who are the people who are going to contact the people associated with the transportation? It might be you. It might be a specific person in your district. Maybe you have someone who handles just transportation and that is his or her job. You might have someone who wears many hats and transportation is one of the things. Perhaps the transportation is going to go through your administrator. Again, every situation is different. This I can definitely tell you though. One thing that I have learned because I've been burned is to make sure that those people going on the trip, whoever the drivers are going to be, that those directions are crystal clear in advance. And when your buses arrive, you make absolutely sure to get the contact information of the bus driver. You ask that person for their cell phone number. You ask them for their name. You need to know that because you might be... all done with your trip, you might be in this case leaving the zoo, you're coming outside, and you're trying to find your bus, along with 250 other yellow buses that are there. Good luck. So it's important that, and and don't ever trust that the bus is necessarily going to be in the same place where they started, because it's very possible when you got into the park Something happened where the bus needed to be moved because they requested it to be moved. The, the, the people in the park, and it's possible that your driver didn't inform you. But I would certainly make that connection to make sure that they communicate with you things that are going on. I would also make it very clear to them that they are not to leave that area. You did pony up that money. And their responsibility is to be there. Their responsibility is not to now leave the premises and go out to grab a bite to eat. And I have known a lot of bus drivers over the years, too many that do that. Absolutely not. Because here's one main reason. Uh, there's They're being compensated They're being paid, and when you're being paid, that means you're working, and when you're working, you're not supposed to be going out and picking up lunch or whatever. But the other reason is you don't want that vehicle to get into an accident. That happened once. The bus driver left the destination, was not supposed to, gave the, the bus driver clear instructions not to leave, bus driver didn't listen, left the destination, bus driver got into an accident. And we had to wait for a bus to come from two hours away from where we were to the scene. 
Uh, they luckily came and we were only delayed by a half hour, but we shouldn't have been delayed at all. And that was because of the poor decision making of the bus driver. So these are, again, these are the types of things that a lot of people, they don't think of in advance. When I think field trip, I think I really, really love my kids because field trips are a headache. They just are. And there's just so much that's involved. And I'll tell you this much. the One of the greatest experiences that I've had has actually come from field trips. And I'm going to tell you why. It allows you to be able to shine in front of those parent chaperones. Because if you do this type of stuff, if you, if you, are, if you are so prepared and you've got everything just meticulously done, they'll really appreciate you. That's the type of, that's the good news that they will spread around. That's the good news where they're going to tell the other parents, that was an amazing experience. I had the best time because this teacher was so prepared. And go back to your administrator and let them know that's what you want to happen. We know that bad news always spreads quicker than good news. But when it comes with field to field trips, though, I've had so many amazing experiences, and a lot of it really just comes down to the planning. There are so many other things that are potentially involved with field trips. Every single situation is different. I will be the first to tell you I am not a fan of overnight trips at all. Uh, the only situations where you're having overnight trips tend to be at the high school level. There is such a massive amount of liability involved that the only overnight trips I ever participated in were ones that I did not actually organize. I was just a teacher chaperone on the trip. And it was something that was like for the entire grade of the school. But never, not once, have I ever even considered doing any type of situation that's going to be an overnight trip, especially for, especially not for students younger than high school age. But even at the high school age, Boy, there's uh, there's a lot of stuff that can uh, potentially go wrong on those types of trips. And you need to take everything that I've given you and you need to multiply your uh, uh, crossing the T's, dotting the I's by a hundred. So I hope that this information is helpful to you in some way. If you want the the permission slip uh, template, please contact me. I'm happy to offer it to you because they're, like I said, they're a real pain to make. And there are some people online who have some that are okay. Uh, I'm very proud of the, the, the field trip permission slips that I've generated over the years. And I can certainly, uh, pass one along to you if that would be helpful in, in any way. And if you have any other questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm sure that I've covered everything you're going to probably need to know. And again, some of the stuff that I said is just not going to apply to you at all because there may be, hopefully you work in a district 
where everything that I said is already very clearly spelled out. Usually there's like a checklist that's in place of have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And you check off 12 little boxes. And sometimes the administration might want you to actually turn in the checklist to ensure that you've done that and you do it um, a week in advance. Oh yes, one more thing. If your students move to other teachers throughout the course of the day, send something out to the staff, and if nothing else, make sure to contact the teachers. There's nothing that has irritated me more as a music teacher, as a specialist, than a class that is going on a trip and the teacher never lets the specialists know about the trip. And I can, I can tell you, I've been not told more often than I've been told about the trip. It's nice to have the period off. It's even nicer when I can know that in advance and I'm not planning a lesson uh, unnecessarily. So I think that if you have that type of communication, your colleagues will appreciate it and don't send it to them just the day before. Again, another way to irritate people, give them at least minimum three to four days notice. Usually a week's notice is more appropriate and even longer, that's fine as well. Uh, and if it's going to involve people that are students that are directly going to affect them, if it's not maybe just your homeroom, but it's specific students, then list all the student names there and please do it alphabetically by last name. It's very annoying to go through a roster of 52 students and they're completely mixed up. That's not fun for anybody. There you go. Field trip information galore. <laughs> Hopefully it's been helpful to you and I wish you all the best in planning your own trip for your kids.